Good afternoon. My name is Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling at my side. Sometimes, Greg, our job is hard. <laughs> uh, are you talking about right now? Because that <laughs> yeah. would be a lie. <laughs> it is not hard. It's pretty easy to be out here on the patio on the rooftop Santa Lucia Pizza right here in St. Boniface on St. Mary's Road. We've got an incredible view of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, St. Boniface Hospital right across the street from us here. It is a neat place. They've got a retractable roof, so we're not expecting any rain this afternoon. But should it happen by... We will be protected. There are uh, lots of folks here on the patio. I think they're here in spite of us, Brett, not because of us. We'd love to see you come down and say hello and have some pizza with us. Yeah, we're uh, we're just getting some menus brought out to us uh, momentarily here. So at some point, at some point, it's going to be awkward because we're going to be at least I'm going to be torn. I certainly don't want to speak for you, but I'll be torn. Like, well, I know I need to talk on the radio right now, but but pizza. We are partners. I will look out for you if you will look out for me. (laughs) People are yelling at the radio right now. Yesterday they were drinking beer on the air, and now this afternoon they're at Santa Lucia having the best pizza in Winnipeg. Life is tough. Yep, Daryl, the manager here, came and said hello. Our server is Liz. Uh, I want to thank, by the way, Mike Guyason, our, our one of our trusty engineers, for getting us all set up here. And uh, poor Jessica Kaminsky. Did I say her last name right? She's got to sit here and watch us for the next three <laughs> hours. I don't know how you got punished with that, but thank you. Thank you very much, Liz, by the way. She's just bringing us some water here. Jess, do you have your, uh, do you have your babysitting uh, handler's uh, course? Yes, so that's probably okay. why Jess is here. All right. She's here to babysit us. So we're as we're driving in here, Greg, you yes. uh, you made a comment about Broadway that I thought, that's a great idea. Because we're driving by all the food trucks on Broadway. We drive by our friends at O'Donuts, formerly in the location, uh, formerly at uh, where it was Amici's was there. And you came up with an interesting sort of idea as to what they should do with that whole stretch well, Broadway has certainly become a place where people sit down for lunch and enjoy a sunny, beautiful Manitoba day. And, of course, it really is the hub of food trucks mm-hmm. here in Winnipeg, at least during the week, Monday through Friday, about 10.30 in the morning till 1.32 in the afternoon. We've got these big, beautiful boulevards that divide the east and westbound lanes on Broadway. Beautiful trees, beautiful grass. I don't want to take away all that, but I think that they should consider creating permanent, semi-permanent spots for these food trucks on the center boulevard. Create a situation where they have running water, give them electricity so they don't have to run those very loud and annoying generators for their power, and then set up a situation where you have uh, some tall tables, some lower tables, almost like a food court, Outdoor food court, run some lights, a little bit of speakers, some music. I think it could be absolutely spectacular. I think it's a great idea. Now, do you know, is it, because I don't, uh, I used to work on Broadway, actually. There was a call center there that I worked at. Uh, so it's been a while since I've actually been on Broadway during the day. But do the, the is it the same food trucks that get the same spots every day, or do they have to fight for them on a daily basis? I think they're fairly considerate of one another. I'm not going to speak for any of them, mm-hmm. but it seems as though they have their own real estate staked out. But this could formalize the process a little bit more. Uh, maybe there wouldn't be enough spots to accommodate everyone, but this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of summers now. Food trucks are here to stay. 
So let's embrace the culture. Let's embrace them. Make it a, a part of the experience on Broadway. When they have that food truck wars as part of the downtown. The Manifest. Uh, the Manifest. It's fantastic. People come down and stroll along Memorial Boulevard. And, and I think if you create something like that, maybe even, you know, public washrooms, uh, it, it would be something that the whole community could, could get around. And uh, dare I say... I'm going to hire some people here, uh, but you could charge a different rate, and uh, this would equal the playing field, because let's face it, there are permanent restaurants along Broadway. Some of them will lament the presence of the food trucks, and this might be a way to create a, a level f- playing field for everyone. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting idea, and the, the quality of the food in the food oh. trucks. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I wonder if there are people who still have this idea that it's you're just getting uh you know random street meat i remember we were visited a few years ago by a food truck i believe it was called hot tots and i could be wrong on that but it was a tater tot based food truck and i had uh i think it was the breakfast special so it came with sausages and eggs and sort of fixings like that and it was one of the best meals i have ever had it was shockingly good and that sort of opened my eyes as to the world of possibilities that these food trucks present in terms of different sorts of meals so to if we're going to let them park on broadway i mean this it's been like this for 20 years that's at least you know that's the culture that is on this street everybody who's downtown knows you can walk to broadway and get a great meal you can there's all sorts of ledges and places where you can have a seat on that street so why not make it a, a place where this is just it's not just this thing that we kind of let these trucks roll up but give them a place to plug in and and make call it a a works a proper workspace so to speak you know and, and i think it just complements everything that's going on in the downtown where we're sitting right now we are just the norwood bridge away from downtown and assiniboine avenue and and portage and maine is only really about five blocks away from where we sit this is busy every day of the week for lunch mm-hmm. and so you know some people will will wonder uh, if there's room for these sorts of things there's so much choice and people devour the opportunities uh, the different choices there are we've gone from basically having a bunch of hot dog carts on broadway to having as close as you can get to gourmet food on the run and I just think everything complements one another. My grandpa always wondered about all the restaurants on Corden Avenue and in Polo Park. He couldn't wrap his head around the idea of how this could work, how this was a good thing. And well, what happens is people say, well, we're going to go down to that part of the city. And if the place that we want to go to first is full, then we can go to the place next door. We have multiple options. Yeah. And, you know, Santa Lucia has been an absolute uh, destination for decades here. But not everybody has that uh, has that uh, luxury of being a destination. So being in a cluster like that, really healthy, brings a lot of people down. I, I don't know. I, I do know. I don't know why I said I don't know. I do know. <laughs> I, th- I think it would work, and I think it would work very, very well. Well, if you want to send us a text at 204-780-6868, we are on location, but you can still reach us at 204-780-6868. And you mentioned Santa Lucia. You mentioned Corden. They also have the Santa Lucia on Corden. I, is it uh, Wentworth? I think it's right near between... I, does, anyway, it's not far from Stafford. It's just a couple blocks east of Stafford. Right. I think it's uh, Corden and Wentworth. And, uh, I mean, they've got a nice little patio right on the street. 
which is so I mean Santa Lucia's got the market cornered on great spots for patios. They've got the one on the street on Cordon, and then this rooftop patio here, which is it's actually my maiden voyage up here. So this is really exciting because I've only you, been to this restaurant I think two or three times. If you've never been here, hopefully we will create an excuse for you to come come by, pop by, go online. By the way, we are even bribing you to come visit us. We have a $100 gift certificate that we're giving away every single week as we will be here throughout the month of July. Go online, cjob.com. Go to the contest tab on the white section, as you call it, Brett, because we have amalgamated with Global Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. They have their tabs in the blue area up top. Stick to the white tabs. Go to contest. Click through there, and you'll find your opportunity to, uh, to enter and win a $100 gift certificate from Santa Lucia, and you can come and join our Pizza Palooza every Friday here on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia. Just want to quickly say hello to a loyal listener and an old co-worker, Natalie, who I used to work with at the aforementioned call center on Broadway. She says, shout out to working on Broadway, double chien show at the hot dog cart. So thank you for that, Nat, and thank you for listening to 680CJOB. Why don't we pause, Greg, and uh, after we give the forecast, we paid a visit to RCMPD Division Headquarters. They're having an open house there on Portage Avenue, and we spoke with the Assistant Commissioner of the RCMP. So we'll hear some of that audio and talk about a little bit about our experience. Just all the neat stuff they had on display, man. I wanted to play with all the fancy police toys. Uh, it was kind of hard to just remember this is, you know, Look, don't touch sort of scenario. <laughs> Unless you're a kid, they, the kids got to play, but I had to just behave. So it was we'll do a that. terrific event. We will do that after your forecast, which is up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling, live from the patio at Santa Lucia, St. Mary's. It is spectacular. And uh, hello, sir. We're just on the air right now. Hi there. And uh, Savannah and Master Control, I'm just going to call an audible here. We're going to give stuff away momentarily, not just yet, because I was thinking, you know what, this is the way I, we set this up, it's not going to work for Savannah back in Master Control. We don't want to make her head spin. So we'll give the tickets away just before we go to break for the news. But right now we want to talk about our visit. I got to work today and Greg said, hey, we're going to the RCMP. And I said, huh? I'm turning you in. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The jig is up, McGarry. <laughs> so we went to visit RCMP Division on Portage Avenue, which is at uh, Dominion, right? That's the cross street? Correct, sir. So we, we pull up, and they've got the street blocked off. It was like a little party. They had the, the street blocked off, and the sirens were on on this cruiser car. And kids got into the cruiser car, and they were letting them play with the sirens, which I thought was pretty cool. The kids could get on the microphone, the, the, the loudspeaker that they have. I, oh, I wanted to do that. We should have done that. We should have gotten the car and gotten in on the loudspeaker and said, I am the law. And that would have been fantastic. You have until 2 o'clock, by the way. If you're out and about, you have the kids, you're looking for something to do. It's the RCMP Canada 150 Community Block Party. As you mentioned, Dominion and Portage, outside D Division. They had the robot, the bomb, uh, uh, what do they call it? The bomb robot. Yeah. I guess that's the best thing to call it. They had some of their other equipment, forensics, uh, the drone uh, that they use for surveillance, all sorts of really neat stuff that Got you would see one of their dogs. Yes, that you wouldn't otherwise get an opportunity to see. So we also uh, got to visit with the assistant commissioner of the RCMP in Manitoba, Scott 
call it. So tell us about this event at D Division. Ah. This is my old neighborhood, and yeah. I was telling Brett that this building, when I was growing up, was a little bit of a mystery to yeah. those of us here in the West End. Well, you know, this this uh, building is uh, our the RCMP headquarters here in Manitoba. And uh, we have uh, a day here today to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday. And uh, our, our, our employees uh, wanted to have an event where they can invite the community and all Manitobans to come in and uh, just show them a little bit more about what the RCMP does in Manitoba. So it's it's been uh, just a, a, a great event today. And we have a lot of people here, uh, young children, uh, right to uh, some uh, elderly folks. And it's just been a great day all the way, all the way around. When you talk about uh, the kids here, I mean, I'm seeing so many interactive displays that seem that they were designed specifically for kids. Like, how much thought sort of went into that to make it accessible for families? Well, you know what, this is something that we do uh, uh, a lot with our with our our school liaison officers uh, who uh, get out and are recruiting folks who uh, really come up with uh, some really uh, really uh, neat ways of uh, interacting with with kids. Everything from forensic ident. Uh, we have our, our police dog service here, uh, fingerprinting, and uh, just shows them a little bit of uh, gets them uh, a little bit of insight into what we do on a daily basis in policing. The relationship between the police and the public can sometimes be tenuous. Do you Absolutely. think? Do you think events like this have the opportunity and the potential to break down some of those barriers, but between the public and and the police? I think so. You know what? Uh, I think uh, most importantly, our officers who are all here today. Uh, it shows the public and just shows everyone that they're they're human beings and uh, you know they have the similar interests and uh, and this is what they do for a living and I think it's uh, really important that they they get a, a real chance to to meet with them one on one and uh, it's been fantastic today we've met uh, a lot of people here and uh, a lot of people are smiling and the weather is uh, really uh, contributing so it's been a great great uh, great morning and afternoon. I actually uh, heard a gentleman quizzing one of your officers around the corner there, asking questions about jurisdiction and what have you, and I'm sure that is something that maybe a lot of people wonder, like, well, (laughs) where do the RCMP actually get to step in within the city of Winnipeg? So how does that work? When do you guys get to spring into action when you're within the perimeter highway? Well, uh, of course, uh, you know, we're uh, the province, uh, we're the provincial police force here in Manitoba, but we also have uh, a federal mandate and uh, in federal policing that can involve everything from national security to uh, serious and organized crime uh, to immigration to the border so uh, you don't really see a lot of those folks every day Uh, most times they're in plain clothes or working behind the scenes Uh, but uh, we have a a strong presence in in the city but we work very closely with our partners uh, Winnipeg Police Service, uh, Canada Border Services Agency and uh, Manitoba Justice so you know, we're uh, very much uh, alive and well here in the city. That is Scott Colliday. He is the Assistant Commissioner of the RCMP in Manitoba. We spoke with him at the RCMP Open House that is happening today at their D-Division headquarters at Portage and Dominion. And Greg, it was just so neat to see all of the, the equipment sort of right there. Like they had the uh, the underwater team, the, the, the boat that they used. They had the forensic van where kids got to go in and look at the the shoe print sort of imprints that they make out of the dirt and uh it was like like watching an episode of csi or something but everything was right there on the street like uh just like a, I'm, I'm thinking of touch the universe 
RCMP style. You know what? Touch the universe. That's a really great assimilation because uh, when you get that opportunity, there was a young boy. He might have been 12, maybe 14 in the back of that forensic van. And I overheard his conversation with the RCMP officer who was conducting the tour. And he put on the plastic gloves and, and the latex gloves, actually. And she said, you know, why do we do this? And Well, so we don't contaminate anything. And then they showed him, do you see any fingerprints here? And something about which hand was he holding the beer in? And all this different stuff. And it just, it has kids thinking in a different fashion. That interaction breaks down a barrier, as we were talking with uh, Scott about this. That whole idea that there can be a barrier between the public and the police. And I think events like this are outstanding at giving the public an understanding of the work that goes into trying to solve a crime. It was a great event, and it was just neat to see uh, all the stuff on display. And there were a lot of people there, a few hundred people there. So it was a nice way to spend an afternoon with the family on a Friday summer day. In those final two minutes that we have in this half hour, speaking of a great way to spend a summer evening, we have tickets to give away. Theory of a Dead Man, playing tonight at Club Region Event Center. Savannah, you can just let that music play out. We have two, and actually you can turn it up a little bit, Savannah. We have two sets of two tickets to play, and we're going to keep it simple today. Callers, four and five, get the tickets. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. 204-780-6868. Theory of a Dead Man playing tonight at Club Region Event Center. You don't have to come to the station to pick them up, so don't worry about that. They'll put your name at the door. All you got to do is be available tonight at Club Region Event Center. Theory of a Dead Man, this is a band that's been, that's been around since 2001. I didn't realize it's been that long. That makes me, like, when I first thought about that the other day, I thought, good Lord. It's like, this band's 15 years old. That makes me feel old. That's just the way it goes, man. There's <laughs> these benchmarks all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the old club. Uh, Jeff, Texas at uh, 780-6868. He says, wow, love the background ambience. Sounds like a war zone in the background. Hopefully that was during our RCMP yes. piece and not necessarily during our uh, time here on the rooftop. Our friend Kristen sent us a text message and a picture of an emu staring at the camera. It says, I am not emused. <laughs> I entered the contest for the Santa Lucia gift certificate. I did not win. It was because I proclaimed Tristan my new favorite, wasn't it? Yeah, and to which I said Tristan is stupid. Uh, By the way, Tristan is up next with Global News on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling, we are live on location. We are, it's Patio Palooza. We are on the patio, the rooftop patio. That has a retractable roof, by the way, but we don't need it today. Santa Lucia on St. Mary's, just before, well, just at Marion, really. What a sensational patio. And, uh, Greg, we have a couple of winners for the Theory of a Dead Man concert playing tonight at Club Region Event Center. The winners are Keith King and Ryan Horsall. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Ryan. Keith King and Ryan Horsall were callers number four and five. They will be going to see Theory of a Dead Man tonight at Club Regent Event Center. It's a busy evening, of course, that concert going on, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers kick off the home portion of their CFL schedule at 7.35.30. Our pregame coverage gets underway right here on 680C JOB, and there's going to be... a pretty big crowd tonight by all indications ticket sales going very swiftly at IGF it's not too late to change your plans it's going to be a perfect night for football and Brett 
you are attending your first Bomber game in how long? Since the first season, since they got smoked by the BC Lions That's right. in uh, mid to late September. And it was a cold, rainy night, and uh, Bombers played really poorly. So <laughs> uh, I'm expecting a completely, I mean, it's a different team this year. So it's it, it should be no contest, I'm hoping. And the Bombers, I understand, have never defeated Calgary at IGF. You are 100% accurate on that. You know, something that a lot of people work very hard at is retirement. Mm. They save, they save their RSPs, they look for jobs, they look for professions that not only uh, pay them when they're working, but will pay them once they're retired. And these sorts of these sorts of uh, benefits are things that are quite often part of negotiations. And Sears Canada yesterday said it is seeking court permission to suspend a number of pension plan and retirement benefit payments. Now, you have to imagine somewhere along the line, raises were foregone, maybe the increase in the number of days or weeks of holidays for employees were sacrificed for these pension plans. Joining us to discuss the legality of this potential move by Sears Canada is Catherine Howden. She's a partner at Pitt Blado Law. She specializes in law practicing surrounding business, financial services, and insolvency and bankruptcy. Catherine, sorry you're not on the patio with us this, this afternoon, but we appreciate you taking time on the telephone to, to join us. Thanks. I'm a little bit jealous. It's uh, nice and air-conditioned in here, but I'm sure you're enjoying the patio more than I am. <laughs> well, <laughs> next time we'll extend the personal invitation to come on down. Catherine, uh, th- this is very bothersome to me and I think to a lot of people to realize that Sears Canada can make a motion like this to suspend benefits to people that have been retired for years that previously worked for Sears Canada. Can you explain to us how this is even possible or permissible under the law? Sure. There's there's two parts to the motion that are that are being brought uh, by Sears. The first is to suspend certain payments or special payments being made to the pension plan. So what they have is a defined benefit pension plan, which guarantees a rate of return to uh, retirees. And currently, the plan is not solvent. And based on what the court documents say, there's a deficit. If the plan were to be wound up today, there'd be a deficit of about $267 million, which obviously wouldn't be to the benefit of anyone uh, if that were wound up. And part of the reason for that is defined pension benefit plans, um, you know, were entered into uh, traditionally at a time when interest rates were probably 8 or 10 percent. And with interest rates being, you know, now 3 to 4 percent, a lot of plans, uh, pension plans, are in a, def- a deficiency position. So because they're in a deficiency position, the Pension Commission had ordered that special payments be made to make up for that shortfall. And it's those special payments that the uh, company is seeking to suspend during the period of restructuring. Is there an allegation, uh, sorry, Catherine, is there an allegation that at any point Sears Canada was was not uh, contributing to the level that it should have been uh, to this point to the pension plan? Is that part of its insolvency or is it just uh, the factors that you mentioned off the top with regard to the performance of of stocks and and, uh, mutual funds and investments overall? I don't know the answer to that question uh, in terms of how they got into this uh, deficiency position. And I think the Pension Commission does uh, do a a routine audit of pensions. uh, I think it's every three years or so. And so there's actuarial calculations that would go into looking at not only, you know, the return that's being made by the pension plan, but also the number of people that are going to be drawing on that plan and life expectancy and all of that stuff. So the number does change. Uh, 
each time the report is given, and that's what's driven these special payments to be made. And so Sears had been making the special payments up until the end of June, um, but as part of the restructuring process, uh, you know, the issue is uh, the company financing the company through the restructuring process uh, says, well, you're not going to be able to continue operating if we make those special payments in the short period of time. Now you, know, you said, is in place. now you said there was a second piece to this uh, application. What what is that second piece, yeah, so Catherine? Yeah, the second piece second piece is that they're asking for suspension of post retirement health and life insurance benefits. Uh, so regular pension benefits will be made to retirees during the period of uh, the stay, but it's the health and life insurance benefits that would be suspended, which is obviously a more significant impact uh, in the short term on on retirees. So they're Seeking court approval to, to spend, uh, suspend $3.7 million worth of monthly payments toward the defined benefit component of the Sears Registered Retirement Plan. They're also yeah. hoping to stop putting money into benefit plans and what have you. So let's say they, they don't get the court approval uh, and then they say, well, we don't have the money. What happens? Well, if they don't get court approval, then there's something called dip financing, which means right now Sears Canada is is operating, and they're operating obviously at a reduced capacity. They're closing some stores and so on, but they are operating, and the reason they're operating is because they have a lender who's who's invested $450 million to allow for this restructuring to happen. And so as a term of that loan, um, they require that these payments be suspended. So... Um, you know, I can't speak for what that lender is going to do, but if they're, they're, they don't get court approval, the financing may be pulled and there may be a bankruptcy. So defined uh, benefit plans are something, they're sort of the Cadillac of, of pensions, uh, so to speak, yeah. Catherine. And these are something that have been cherished, uh, not only in the private, but the public sector. Are these sustainable long term? And is, is this a, a warning? And is this a, a, a cautionary note, what's going on with Sears Canada employees that maybe a, a lot more of us should be paying attention to? For sure, and I think it's it's you know Sears isn't the first uh, company that's uh, you know gone into creditor protection for the same reason, and I think it's going to be a trend in insolvency law across Canada if the interest rates continue to you know to continue to be depressed that you're going to have a lot of underfunded pension plans and an inability of companies if you know certainly there's a downturn in the economy to be able to you know cover that shortfall, and as you get more baby boomers that are retiring, drawing on those pensions, it's going to be a problem, and I think if you you know, most employers have shifted over to a defined contribution plan, you know, where the payment by the employee and employer is fixed, but the rate of return is going to be based on how the investment in the pension plan does. And so, you know, the risk there is shared by the employer and employee because with a defined ben- pension benefit plan, if there is a shortfall, it's the employer that must make up the difference. And that's going to have to come out of, you know, uh, continued operations. So if I am a Sears retiree and I'm hearing all of this news and I'm kind of probably freaking out a little bit, what is my recourse? What can I do? Well, you know, the the, empo- the uh, current employees and retirees are represented by counsel. There is a counsel that's representing that group at the hearing, so they do have a representation at the court process level. Um, I think if you're an employee, it's interesting to know that the Monitor um, FTI Consultants actually has a website relating to Sears Canada with some very good information for current and and uh, retiring employees and and uh, sort of questions that they may want to ask. So it's a useful resource, and I'd encourage 
encourage them to go to the website and have a look. Um, but, you know, as on an ongoing basis, I think, you know, the purpose of this restructuring legislation is to allow large corporations the ability to sort of come out leaner and meaner and be able to continue on operating. And I think that's to everybody's benefit. And while in the short term, there's going to be some, certainly some uh, stakeholders that are preferred over others, and there are going to be some vulnerable um, people, suppliers perhaps, employees that are going to be suffering as a result of this restructuring, there's a lot of current employees that are still there that hopefully can retain their jobs and go on with Sears if they're able to restructure. So that's kind of the purpose of the legislation. If the restructuring fails and there's a bankruptcy, the, the options are very limited. There is some legislation in a bankruptcy or receivership that protects employees called the Wage Earner Protection Program Act. And if you're an employee that, um, you know, would have a claim there, but that only entitles you to about four weeks of uh, employment insurance, probably about $4,000 each. So, you know, your claims for severance and, and uh, that you'd normally have in a solvent company are, are, are simply gone in a bankruptcy. Catherine Howden, she's a partner at Pitt Blado Law. She specializes in business, financial services, and insolvency and bankruptcy law matters. And uh, Catherine, so does this highlight uh, the limited power that we have? Where do employees uh, stand in a lineup uh, when a company goes bankrupt, when it becomes insolvent at the end of the day, when it walks out of Canada and shuts its doors uh, forever? Well, you know, currently Sears is not bankrupt. They're in what's called a double C, double A proceeding or creditor protection. So uh, there is no protection for them right now. Um, obviously, if they're a current employee, they continue to get their current wages and, and holiday pay, but there's no provision for severance. There may be as part of the court approval process, as part of the restructuring, but that remains to be seen. In a bankruptcy, uh, employees do have what's called a preferred claim. Uh, for their unpaid wages or severance, but that comes after other certain priorities like Canada Revenue Agency uh, being paid unpaid taxes. Um, there may be secured creditors that come ahead of them. But in terms of uh, what I was just talking about, the Wage Earner Protection Program Act, that does give employees a, a super priority uh, for about four weeks. Uh, but obviously, when you've got a solvent employer, your entitlement is much higher. So, um, you know, whether the legislation needs to improve uh, for employees is a matter, I guess, uh, for the legislature to decide. But it's certainly a balancing of, you know, trying to deal with all of the stakeholders. And, and uh, employees, though, are certainly in, a, in the most vulnerable position when a company goes into receivership or bankruptcy. And just one more qualification, if you don't mind, before we let you go, sure. Catherine. Uh, what would happen to this pension program should Sears become insolvent? Well, that's a matter for the pension plan, I suppose. But if the pension were wound up based on what the court documents are saying, so they wound up the pension right now, there's no further contributions into the pension and it's wound up, uh, there'd be a significant deficit right now of $267 million. And so, you know, there is, there may or may not be a claim that the directors had some responsibility for that. I don't know enough about the case to comment, but obviously they're not going to be able to make up that shortfall either. So somebody's not going to be able to get everything they wanted out of their pension if there's that significant a deficit. So the reason, part of the good reason for the restructuring is if the company continues to operate, there'll be funds, you know, and operates and is successful, there'll be funds available to start contributing back into that pension. So, you know, that's to obviously to all of their benefit. All right, Catherine Howden, thank you so much for joining us today. Catherine Howden is a partner 
with Pitt Blado Law. Once again, she practices in business areas of law, financial services, as well as insolvency and bankruptcy. And again, we're talking about how Sears Canada has announced it is seeking court permission to suspend a number of pension plan and retirement benefits payments. It is 147 on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry, we are broadcasting live from the patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's, the rooftop patio. What a wonderful spot this is, and we are going to enjoy the rest of our afternoon, and we invite you to join us as well, and we invite you to log on to cjob.com, where you can win yourself a $100 tab, a $100 gift certificate for this very patio. Just go to cjob.com and find the contests, and that will give you all the information that you need. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Greg, he's Brett. We are on the rooftop patio enjoying this gorgeous Manitoba afternoon. We are at Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's Road at Marion, right as you come into St. Boniface. I guess we're on your way out of St. Boniface if you're heading towards downtown. We have a magnificent view of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, all sorts of foliage, and of course uh, in the background we also see the Institute, the Asper Institute on the campus at St. Boniface Hospital along with the Albrechtson Research Centre. This is a really tough way to spend a Friday afternoon, Brett. We invite, we invite our listeners to come down and join our pizza slash patio palooza. Yep, and... Uh my tummy is starting to rumble a little bit. Is it? Bit. Yeah. I see you have a menu in front of you. There's a, I have a menu here. I have a menu there. And I'm really starting to think, well, now I believe we... Maybe in the three o'clock hour we order something. I don't. I don't know when you want to. We're not going to make something. it that long. Who in the heck are you kidding? Yeah. No. You're right. Uh, hey, we should also mention, by the way. Of course, the bomber game is tonight, and there is uh, an initiative from Winnipeg Harvest, of course, calling on Blue Bomber fans to help tackle hunger in the city. Food Bank is asking for fans to bring a tin of food or a toonie to the home opener this evening because summertime can. Bring, I mean, let's face it, this kind of stuff never takes a, a day off. But summertime in particular can, can put an extra burden on low-income families because during the school year, a lot of kids rely on free or subsidized lunches. So if you want to help out that way, please feel free to do so. And then, of course, don't forget about Wade Miller's guarantee tonight. That's right. If you're a driver, if you are driving to the game, parking at the University of Manitoba campus, and you don't get home faster... Then last year, you get two free tickets to the next home game, July 13th. That's a bold, bold move. You wonder how many how many people are going to say, well, it's it Win- took me longer anyway. We're in Winnipeg. It's the honor system, as uh, Mr. Miller said earlier today. And I don't think anybody's going to... You know, going to lie about that. If you are, hey, have have fun sleeping at night. Really, is is that really worth it? Is that <laughs> two bomber tickets are very valuable, but are your principals not more valuable? Uh, you're taking two hundred buses off of Chancellor Matheson Drive, along with University Crescent, and uh, they're also uh, reevaluating and realigning how you can uh, leave campus off of Chancellor Matheson. I believe. I heard that you'll be only be able to go across Pembina Highway onto Bison Drive straight through uh, to the west or make a left turn 
if you go out off of Chancellor Matheson. That's so that South Pembina Highway northbound uh, can accommodate the buses, and you'll also be able to go out uh, north on University Crescent. So uh, I, I, I have zero doubt in my mind that this is going to be way faster. But the best way to go is by bus anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I, even in the, that first season, the the bus, like by the time that, because uh, it was September, so they had sort of ironed out some of the kinks. It really wasn't all that bad. Uh, but I am genuinely curious that that's one of the reasons why I think I talked about this earlier this you week. Did. That I am, one of my motivations for going tonight is, I suppose, uh, I don't like to really think of myself as a journalist and more of a, just a, a squawk box. But, uh, Squawk box, I like that. You've but, never said that on the air before. But I do like, I, there's a, a definite journalistic curiosity to see how it's going to go. I know we just have a minute here, and I might have an opportunity to talk about this on the pregame tonight, or I may not. The Blue Bombers, since moving into IGF, have weathered a ton of storms. The team has not been very good. Mm-hmm. The National Hockey League comes back to Winnipeg, and some of the feelings about the geography of where the stadium is. And they've come out of it, and I'm not saying we're at the end of the tunnel here, but I think you can see it from where we stand and moving towards the light. If this is as rough as it gets in terms of attendance, uh, popularity of the football club, uh, I think they've weathered this this potential storm, which really was a perfect storm for them, mm-hmm. and some of the controversy surrounding the stadium. Uh, this could demark tonight with all the transportation stuff, a genuine new start for the football club, and a win would go a long way in solidifying the fans' feelings about that new start. Pre-game at 5.30, game at 7.30, all the details on park and ride and how to get there at cjob.com. And by the way, Congratulations to Greg Mackling. You talk about new starts. New start for the CJOB broadcast team. Getting a hand from Greg Mackling doing the halftime show. Atta go, atta go. Atta boy, man. I'm too excited to even say it I properly. I appreciate it. I'm thrilled. It's a genuine, a genuinely a dream come true for me. All right. We are going to have a look at your Cottage Country forecast next. It's Blue Bomber game night. And, Brett, one of my favorite quotes on Twitter from 2016 was from Winnipeg Blue Bomber linebacker. He's been a guest on this program, Maurice Leggett. Okay. Tweeting from Costco, asking (laughs) in the middle of the afternoon, does anybody in Winnipeg work? Yep. We're sitting on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia here on St. Mary's Road, and uh, it's not jam-packed, but there are people here in the middle of the day, and we want to be an excuse for you to come down and start your weekend er early with our patio slash slash Pizza Palooza. Lots of peas there, McGarry. Santa Lucia, St. Mary's, the rooftop patio. This is my first time up here. What a great spot. It is comfy. They have a retractable roof. In the event that it were to rain, that's not going to be a problem today. But it is there. That's a neat thing. Just, you know, just looking up at it, trying to figure out the mechanics. You could just, you could amuse yourself for quite a while doing that at least i can i think gary said that the mechanics are from switzerland yeah and they're still waiting for a few more parts so kind of cool also got us thinking about on the way here just some of the other winter summer traditions here in winnipeg we spent so much time talking about how we're embracing being outdoors in the winter time well for a long time broadway avenue has been a place where People hunker down at lunchtime, a hot dog cart or similar. Well, now, of course, there are all these spectacular food trucks. And uh, I was musing with you about the idea of, of creating an area for these food trucks on the boulevard, a mag- magnificent, majestic boulevards of Broadway, and a kind of a semi-permanent setup for these 
food trucks with complete with running water and electricity. And we had some feedback at 780-6868, and I wanted to uh, share that uh, because people are backing my idea. If people oh, were against good. it, I wouldn't. No, I, of course I would be sharing. Greg's idea for Broadway is great. Would be a better use of space. That comes from Randy. Doug insists it's not my idea. If it is or it isn't, doesn't really matter to me. What did Doug have to say, Brett? Doug says, hi, guys. I wish I was in St. B as to the Broadway talk. It is a great idea. However, it's not Mackling's idea. What? I recall this being talked about a couple of years ago. I believe it was after a mini fest. But then again... You keep the conversation going. It is a great idea. Thank you very much, Doug. But why did Doug hear about this, Greg? Well, we did talk about this. Uh, I remember doing a piece on the food trucks and on the food truck wars. So this is something I've shared on 680 CGOB and with some folks over uh, at ManyFest and some of the organizers that were looking for uh, submissions as to ways to improve the downtown. I just haven't had time to formally submit the idea. And if anybody else has been working on this, please get in touch, brett at cgob.com or gmac at cgob.com because I, I think this is something that might have some legs. We invite you to come down next Friday, Doug. If you can't work it into your schedule, we will be here next Friday, one, two, four as well. Now, we're going to talk about something that you may have never heard about, I confess, Brett, until we got the email from this author, a story that I had never heard about. Our next guest has written a book on a dramatic event which took place barely 200 kilometers from where we sit on May 10, 1973 in Kenora, Ontario. The book is The Devil's Gap, and it's the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. Here's the audio from radio station CJRL. Gentlemen, a continuing report on the attempted bank robbery at the Kennedy Imperial Bank of Commerce on Main Street. Uh, we've spoken to a number of people on the street who allegedly saw this take place, and it uh, was just one smooth operation, walking into the bank, ordering the tellers out, and from there, nobody seems to know what's going on because the man is holed up in the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. He's wanting safe passage out. And the police have been negotiating with the man. The area has been cordoned off. The passers-by again have been moved back further. And uh, they're just waiting now to see what happens. As I mentioned, the man is holding what is believed to be a device in his mouth. And uh, from all reports, it, it would appear as though it's a bomb of some sort. Now, the police are standing by. The truck he has demanded is wedding out front of our station right now the man is coming out he's got a black stocking on his head the man is coming out he is carrying a closed peg in his mouth he is moving back into the bank now he's got three duffel bags three duffel bags apparently full with money uh he has moved back in with his uh with the man and they're waiting now to see what happens now they're coming back out again he is a colored man. It's the clothes peg in his mouth. He is carrying a flight bag. Uh, with what? Hell, the bomb off. has gone off. A bomb has off. gone off. He's been shot. He's been it's gone in front of the... Everything is just rancid. Ladies and gentlemen, a bomb has gone off, ladies and gentlemen. Money all over the street. You wouldn't. A policeman has been shot. A man. Men are running. Two cars are completely heavily damaged. The entire front of the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce has just exploded. 
A helicopter is flying over top now. That was May 10th, 1973 in downtown Kenora, Ontario. Joe Rauco is the author. The book is The Devil's Gap, the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber and the only book dedicated to a history-making 1973 event taking place, as we mentioned, Main Street, Kenora, Ontario. Good afternoon, Joe. And that audio, thank you for uh, sharing us with us the link to that audio. It is absolutely heart-stopping and incredible to imagine that it, it took place in a in a community that so many Manitobans spend a lot of time in, particularly in the summer months. Thank you very much for having me on your show, although I would rather be on the patio on St. Mary's Road right now than on the phone. Uh, the Canadian Bureau Bank of Commerce, for those listeners who still go to Lake of the Woods in Kenora, is located in exactly the same location as it was when the robber came out of the bank uh, shortly about 3.30 in the afternoon on the Thursday before Mother's Day, turned, made himself a visible target to the police that had locked off the street, was shot and then released that dead man switch that one of the announcers referred to as clothes pegs in his mouth and uh, and blew himself up. By the way, that wasn't just uh, wasn't a bad recording. What CGRL did, they had two broadcasts going at the same time, so you heard both announcers. One was doing a live feed to the uh, local Kenora station, and the other guy was doing a feed to their sister stations at the same time in Fort Francis and Dryden. So there's a couple points there, uh, times in the broadcast, where you hear two announcers screaming. How is this a forgotten piece of our history? I mean, I I, uh, fully admit this is not something I was aware of. That audio is some of the most dramatic audio I think I've ever heard. Well, two things. First, in, in terms of dramatic audio, um, when you read the book, I, I, I believe I capture that because I got permission from CGRL, which is now broadcasting as 89 The Lake in Kenora, to use excerpts from it. So um, I hope I create a fast-paced, exciting book for people to read. Uh, I think the simple story, a simple reason that this has never been covered before was it was so long ago that when the uh, when TV freelance guy took pictures of this, he was using a 16 millimeter black and white Bell and Howell camera, the same film that was used in World War II. And so there's not a lot of uh, images around. And secondly, because it's northwestern Ontario, 1,200 miles from Toronto, and as you said, 200 kilometers east of Winnipeg, um, there's not a lot of people that would have known about it um, to, to carry on. So it was um, it was a personal quest that I, I wanted to fulfill. I told the story for 40 years, and when I got cancer the first time in 2006 and was recovering from radical neck surgery, I needed something to motivate me to get out of bed every day, and I had this always in the back of my mind, so I would get up, I would start doing some research, do a little bit of writing, a little bit of interviews, and then I had other health issues, so I didn't finish the book for 10 years. Uh, and then my children, who got it for a Christmas present, said, Dad, this is really good stuff. And I said, well, thanks, kids. You know, that's what I do for a living. Uh, they said, no, you should publish it. And I pitched it to 15 Canadian publishers. Two of them said, when they read the manuscript, it reads like a, a movie script, but they would decline. Best of luck. And so that's why I'm now self-publishing it. Joe, I have to ask you, where were you on this fateful day? 50 feet away from the robber, about 25 feet away from where the police officer shot him. Uh, Back in 2000, uh, 
eight when I was back in Kenora. I actually measured it off on Main Street. I was standing on what was then called the uh, Stairs to Pitts Clothing Store. It's now Donnie B's Music Center. So I was less than half a block away when the robber came out. And the other connection that I have is that when the robber blew up, he blew up through the second floor windows above the bank into the offices of the weekly newspaper and into the keys of my manual typewriter. So that night when we went in to start work on the next week's edition, the first thing we had to do was literally clean up. My word. So you're 50 feet away from the explosion. When when he exploded, what yeah. uh, what was the, the situation as it pertains to debris? Uh, well, let me just preface it by saying, remember, this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-SWAT, and so I was walking home from high school, and you see a thousand people standing on on the streets, so that's like 20,000 people standing at the corner of Portage and Main, and you go, hey, what's going on? And, and by word of mouth, we knew that there was this robbery going on, and then uh, when the police officer shot, it was it was right out of the blue. It was not expected, so there's panic, and so as I'm falling to the ground, um, to take cover, I hear the echo or the retort, and then the explosion and, and stuff flying through the air. Now, luckily, um, only the robber um, died. The police officer who had volunteered to drive the the getaway truck uh, was seriously injured, including damaging his eardrum. And there were eleven, only eleven other people um, uh, received injuries from flying glass, flying parts of a car, that sort of stuff. So uh, it was very, very lucky. So that's why. I assert in the book that it was a uh, suicide bomb, and because if he was going to be a terrorist, he would have run into the crowd, because there were people like standing literally two car lengths away. This is parallel parking with their hands in their pocket, watching this guy walk out. So if he wanted to, to take somebody out, he could have, but he didn't. He stopped, squared himself up to the police, and the rest is now history. Joe Ralco is our guest. He is an author. He has written a book called The Devil's Gap. The untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. This is covering a bank robbery in Kenora on May 10th in 1973, in which a police officer shot this robber, which triggered a dead man switch that he had in his mouth, igniting a homemade bomb uh, that he carried in a flight bag over his shoulder. So, Joe, as uh, you mentioned that you you took it to 15 publishers. And mm-hmm. the two of them said, well, you know, it reads like a movie script, but uh, no thanks. So why do you think there's this reluctance to tell this story even when they offer you this praise that, you know what, this this reads like a, like a, like a thriller? Well, I, I positioned as what, what the book is, creative nonfiction, and the genre that I was trying to publish it in was true crime or Canadian history, which is a, an area that I, I have no expertise in. I've, I've published regional nonfiction books here in Saskatchewan, and I'm not sure why uh, they said no, but I respect them. I know the industry is in, uh, it's really tough uh, to get in, and they have hundreds of, uh, of authors sending book proposals um, daily to them. And in fact, uh, many of the websites are quite depressing to read because they say, well, send us your book proposal, and if we're interested, we'll get back to you in, in, in eight months. Uh, and, and, you know, I, having gone through all my health issues over 10 years, uh, to, so 
subconsciously, I have a sense, there was a sense of urgency. I didn't know what was in store. Like this time last year, I was recovering from open heart surgery. I've had two battles with cancer, uh, a few other things. And so I know that the grains, uh, the sands of time are running out on me. And so that's why I've, I've raced to get this thing out. And it's available uh, in print on Amazon and ebook on Kindle. Um, and I, I had hoped that the Canadian publishers would think that this is a, a no-brainer, but um, apparently... It wasn't a good fit at this time, but I'm very, very proud of the finished product. Uh, it reads like a movie script or a thriller, but keep in mind when you read the book, it's a true story. It's Canadian history. It, it really happened. Joe Ralco has been our guest. He is the author of The Devil's Gap, and it is the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. Joe, you've got so many more stories to tell. I know you have. Will you uh, visit with us again? We, we really, really appreciated and enjoyed this visit. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And, and uh, as listeners are uh, driving around and going to the lake this weekend, just think about this. This is Kenora, 1973. There was a one highway in and out of town, the Trans-Canada Highway, and it was blocked for over an hour because of this bank robbery on the suicide bomber. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate this. Thanks. Joe Ralco joining us from Regina, Saskatchewan. One more time, the book, The Devil's Gap. It's the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. We'll take a break, come back and update the fabulous weather forecast. Up next. What did Jeff Courier call us yesterday? Or yesterday, earlier today, on air. I think he called us slobs. Yes. Yes. Those two slobs are going to be sitting at uh, the patio at Santa Lucia Pizza, St. Mary's. Yep. Sitting there eating pizza. Guess what, Jeff? We're eating pizza right now. (laughs) Oh my God. Which one is this? The Santa Lucia special, mm-hmm. I believe. So this has there's well, there's a fish fly in this menu. So I can't. But it's bacon. I think it was pepperoni, mushroom, uh, green peppers, onions, and there was something else. There was a fifth ingredient. Cheese we, and sauce. And we, the words, the immortal words of Joe Aiello. It's all about the sauce. But uh, we're not very considerate. We are. You asked me if I'm okay with taking the onions off. I said no problem. But then after the pizza arrives, Jessica here sitting with us says, well, I don't like green peppers <laughs> or mushrooms. Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> I'm a terrible host. So we'll have to find something else that she can eat uh, because that's too much work to make her pick all that stuff off. So Joe's story, was that fascinating or what? Sorry, oh my, I, no, I, no. I was interrupting you there as I do quite often. That was fascinating story. Well, and I'm glad that uh, this was directed our way because that audio, honestly, I didn't. I was thinking, are we going to hear this happen? The incident where this suicide bomber is shot by a police officer, thus triggering the dead man switch that's in his mouth and uh, uh, igniting a homemade bomb he carried in a flight bag. The fact that, A, this happened in Canada, and I didn't know about it, can't believe that. B, that it happened in Kenora, right. where so many of us go. Some people call that part of Manitoba, consider it part of Manitoba. When we first launched Cottage Country Weather about 10 years ago, <laughs> because our then boss, <laughs> Vic Grant, had a cottage out in Kenora, I'm pretty sure that's the reason why Kenora <laughs> was in the Cottage Country forecast, because he wanted to know what the weather was going to be when he gets out to his cabin. It's just everybody knows where Kenora is. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but there's a good chance that many of us have been to Kenora at least once in our life. So this is an incredible piece of Canadian history, and uh, what an amazing ta- story. How much time do we have here before uh, we have to 45 break? seconds. Savannah, is there any way, I think it was in the last 20 seconds of that audio, is there any way that you could play that again for those just tuning in? 
And if not, then we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, hear I hear your chuckle there. <laughs> I think we would. You just want the end of it? Is yeah, that just what the you're very, after? yeah, just the last twenty just seconds where, where he where the the incident happens. You know, I'm not sure if I can get that queued up for you just as fast as you would like, so we might have to come back to that. We'll do it again later okay. this afternoon. We will allow our listeners the <laughs> opportunity to hear this audio. And just so you know, you listening to the radio station knows, uh, Savannah has stepped into the breach today because Jeff Forte, we always work with Jeff, but he is going to be doing the Bomber game tonight because they're the, he's the only person in the station that Bob Irving trusts on the board. Yes, So sir. Jeff Forte is doing that. Kyle Milroy is off today, so Savannah just says ha- gets called into action. And it's, oh, by the way, Brett and Greg are on location today. Have fun. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's all it's all smooth sailing. <laughs> so she's back at the station. She can't even see us. She can't even uh, have the benefit of our normal hand signals or anything like that. So, Savannah, you're doing a smashing job <laughs> on uh, Master Control this afternoon. We appreciate you putting up with uh, everything entailed here. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He's uh, out with Pink Eye, but he's a trooper. He's going to join us by telephone. It's probably going to be killing him knowing that he's missing out on the pizza this afternoon. He's coming up next. It's okay, Brett. Don't talk with your mouth full. I I got it. (laughs) We're on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza. It's our Friday Pizza Palooza, our patio palooza. What it really is, is an excuse for you to get out of work early. Come down and see us. We're at St. Mary's Road and Marion, uh, one of the absolute jewels of patios and there are some great ones in our city this one has a retractable roof so even if we were to face some rain as you mentioned brett not not a situation we need to worry about today but in the future we're here all of july we don't even have to go inside they just close the roof for us it's an absolutely fantastic spot and uh the santa lucia special yes we are enjoying the pretty good Pepperoni, bacon, mushrooms, onions, and green peppers. We elected to get it without onions, uh, but because we got mushrooms and green peppers, we didn't. Uh, Jessica can't have any now, uh, but we could have gotten. Next time we'll have to try the Joe Aiello pizza for charity. It's pepperoni, side bacon, mushrooms, and extra sauce because it's all about the sauce. I'm not even going to try to do it like Joe. It's all about the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome that it's on the menu. What did you say that you like? I'm a side bacon and shrimp. How did you even come up with that? Well, back in the Earl's days, we had this pizza called the California Shrimp Pizza. And it was baby shrimp, feta, pesto, and sun-dried tomato. And it didn't have any tomato sauce on it. It was like a white sauce that we would put on there. And I wasn't a big fan of sun-dried tomatoes. But if you take the sun-dried tomato off, it doesn't really look very nice, so I thought, nah, let's replace sun-dried tomatoes with bacon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you replace the tomatoes with Let bacon. Let me tell you. <laughs> if ever you have an opportunity to replace anything with bacon, typically it's going to work out. Yeah. That's all I can say about that. I think that's a good I- idea. Bubba, I think... Uh, Jess looks like she's lost something, so can you uh, give her a hand with that? <laughs> she looks like she's, she's, looks like she's turning frantic in, in Jess frat. Kaminsky, one, one of our uh, street team members, part of our promotions team, looks like she has lost something. And we typically are paid a visit in person, but we have lost the opportunity to do that this week because Pink Eye has laid up our pal Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, uh, psychologist, 
clinical psychologist. His website, drcyrus.com. Last week, Cyrus, it was a strep throat. <laughs> this week, it was pink eye. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I got little kids, and uh, I guess it's just my turn. So that's the way it goes, I guess. <laughs> just a quick sidebar on pink eye, Dr. Cyrus. Uh, I remember some. this would have been like 15 years ago at this call center I was working at, not the one on Broadway, but um, there was, uh, we had pink eye going around the office, mm. and because they you know, they took health and safety quite seriously in the union, so if you even had a hint of it, you had to go to the doctor to get checked. So I went to a doctor because my eye was itchy and it was kind of red, and I told the doctor, I think I might have pink eye, We have a, we ha- it's going around the office. And he looked at me, he was really smug, and he says, pink eye, are you kidding no one gets pink eye anymore because like it was like this long forgotten. Really? Apparently, it really? Was, that was the wow. answer you got. Yeah. I eventually made him say like, "Look, they're not gonna. I need you got to give me something." So he begrudgingly gave me a prescription. But his medical professional opinion was, "Yeah, pink eye doesn't happen anymore." All right. Well, well there are true. thousands of parents screaming at the radio, going, uh, "Pink eye's a real thing." This was 15 years ago, by the way. Not, yeah. Well, oh wow. I don't. I don't know. I. I, I don't think it ever went away. Doctor yeah. Cyrus, yeah. one thing that has not gone away with the ages is the idea of micromanagement. Yes. Yes, it's still a thing, and I'm sure many of your listeners have you know, experienced micromanagement themselves. You know, I've actually been pretty fortunate. I haven't, uh, I ha- I've been a student for a long time, and then I, I had some, some different managers. I don't think I've ever had kind of a true micromanager. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't been maybe around as much. Most of the managers that I've actually had have been maybe a little too hands-off. Um, but, uh, but I know that it's a real thing for sure. And I've, I've certainly had a lot of people, uh, you know, experiencing frustration with their bosses. That's for sure. So the reason why we're talking about this is actually, this is what we were going to discuss with Dr. Cyrus last week. It's an article we found how to stop being such a micromanager. Yes, you, that's the headline <laughs> on psychology today, but we ended up, our conversation was derailed by the protest that occurred on Highway 1 East at Deacon's Corner, uh, which was organized by the Urban Warrior Alliance. And by the way, Urban Warrior Alliance, if you happen to be listening, the invitation to join Mackling and McGarry is still out there. Please feel free to join us. We'd love to have you in studio for a conversation. But we didn't. We ended up talking to you, uh, Dr. Cyrus, about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we will now have the discussion about <laughs> micromanagement. So my first question to you, for people who are micromanagers... If you mm-hmm. have a boss who's a micromanager, like, what is is there a main reason why? Like, is it because there people have difficulty relenting control? It seems that um, there's maybe a bit of a cluster of different, you know, characteristics or or traits. And I was kind of thinking, you know, going into this, that there might be, uh, you know, an obsessive or maybe compulsive kind of personality trait. Uh, but it seems that more, you know, more uh, significant is this trait of feeling not powerful, uh, this trait of, of feeling maybe self-doubting or, or insecure in your position is kind of a bigger factor than kind of compulsiveness in, in making a micromanager behave that way. So is it about power then? Yeah, it seems that uh, they were actually able to 
you know, create micromanaging behaviors in people by having them remember uh, times and write down times when they didn't feel powerful. And when they wrote these things down and they asked them to do behaviors afterwards, I'm not sure what those behaviors were, but I, I, the research was quite clear that, you know, uh, it was generally a feeling of being powerful that helped people to feel okay about delegating, to help people feel okay about, uh, you know, trusting others uh, with their tasks. And when people didn't feel powerful, they kind of uh, became over-involved and uh, didn't, weren't able to trust An account temp survey suggested a majority of employees said that they have first-hand experience with a micromanaging boss. 59% polled said they worked for a micromanaging boss at some point in their career. And I think this is the statistic that everyone should pay attention to, whether you're a boss or a worker bee, Dr. Cyrus. Of those, 68%, that's a huge number in my mind, report that this style tends to decrease their morale yeah i mean the the research would suggest that uh, micromanaging reduces creativity motivation uh, morale and um, you know it seems it, it, this is particularly true for employees when the employees are more self-motivated type of people and you've got a when you've got an employee who really does want to kind of do well and, and uh, do a good job, micromanaging really seems to be hard on those types of employees. Um, one of the interesting things that seems to happen with micromanagers is that they don't actually hire people who are particularly self-motivated, particularly competent, um, or I, it maybe, again, it's coming from that insecurity of actually having an employee who can um, maybe be as competent as they are, or uh, I think so. What what actually happens is you kind of have this uh, kind of increasing incompetence in a company, and and if if you have a micromanager, they tend to hire people who maybe need more micromanagement, and so it kind of becomes this cycle. And then you have a company where there's all these people who are being micromanaged and require micromanagement, and a lot of the other self-directed people will quit. Um, and so it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that starts with people just, again, this kind of people feeling insecure and uh, not, you know, wanting to be threatened. Dr. Cyrus, you mentioned that um, you had a, a manager who was maybe too hands-off. And the way that you emphasize the, the word too there, that maybe he was too hands-off, that sort of implies that that's not necessarily the best strategy either. So what do you think, why would you think that maybe that's not the way to go? Well, I think that being detail-oriented isn't necessarily the same thing as being a, a micromanager. I think, um, you know, you know, when you think about helicopter parenting or when you think of, uh, you know, abusive spouses or controlling spouses, these are kind of all similar types of situations as kind of what you might find in a micromanaging office. It's, it's this idea that, you know, the, the person is kind of intrusive when they don't need to be. But I think you can have the opposite. I don't, think, I don't know if we have a really nice term for it, but kind of a, a laissez-faire manager or something like that, I guess, where you've got somebody who maybe just doesn't, doesn't care or is not invested and, and kind of just, you know, leaves you to, to do it on your own and you have no idea what's required or 
they're not available when you need them, that kind of thing. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us this afternoon, as he does on Fridays, between 2.30 and 3 o'clock. DrCyrus.com is the website. And Dr. Cyrus, are there people that flourish under, uh, I won't use the word regime, but I want to use the word regime. A regime like this that manages in this style, are there people who are genuinely better when they are handled in, in this fashion? Well, I think that one of the first, if you're if you're working in a place where you have what you would consider to be a micromanager, I think the first question you have to ask yourself is whether you're actually doing a good job. And it can be a tough question to kind of face yourself, but if you're not doing a good job, if you're not actually being productive, if you're making a number of errors and your boss is kind of watching you more closely, that's not really micromanagement. And I think that certain employees, uh, you know, when they aren't self-motivated, uh, when they, um, you know, generally speaking, require some employees who are, are just generally have a lower intelligence or lower IQ, they need more structure. I think the idea here is to figure out how, how competent your employee is and give them the structure they need to be successful. And for some, it might be more. Um, and then you kind of figure out what kind of level of ability they have to work independently and, and then try to give them that because that will feel good for them and it will um, increase creativity and lower, uh, you know, the, the strain on the manager. Dr. Cyrus, we're going to pause our conversation. We're going to have a look at the forecast and then we'll continue our chat about management styles in particular micromanagement i think we've all had a micromanager in our lives at some point and it is not a pleasant experience necessarily dr cyrus dirksen is his name he is a clinical psychologist his website is drcyrus.com and the chat with him continues after your forecast which is up next dr cyrus dirksen with us this afternoon until Oh, just before 3 o'clock, we've got a cottage country, cottage country weather forecast coming up for you in just a few moments. Dr. Cyrus uh, asked you mm-hmm. about the idea that maybe some people are a little bit better in a, a situation with a micromanager. But could this also be based on your last answer about working with a micromanager, being a little bit more honest about the job that we're doing at work? Uh, 59% saying that they once upon a time at some point had a micromanager as their boss, but could it be that uh, these people just needed more supervision and, and and aren't doing necessarily the best job possible? I think that that's definitely a factor that needs to be considered. I mean, the, the feeling of having a micromanager, I think, would be very similar to having a, uh, an experience of a supervisor who's concerned about your performance. I think when employees are feeling micromanaged, I think one of the first steps that they can do is to kind of first make sure that they're doing a good job in their view. And then once they feel like they've done a good job for, you know, a reasonable amount of time, that they go and actually ask their employer and, and say, you know, am I, do you think I'm doing a good job? And then if the employer says yes, then kind of say, well, I really want to do this job well, and I definitely will tell you if there's anything that I don't understand. Um, would you be okay with giving me more room to kind of take, uh, take these tasks on and have that conversation? But I agree. I think one of the first steps would be to just say, am I doing a good job? And then make sure that you are. So if you are in a, a situation where your boss is a micromanager and, and it is beating down your morale, I mean, I can tell you firsthand that uh, just at this radio station in previous years, 
There have been situations where uh, while I was doing stuff on the air, I was told, no, no, don't do it, th don't do it that way, do it this way. And it, it, it really would batter my morale. So if I, if I or anybody who's listening to this right now finds themselves in a situation where they're trying to do their job to the best of the abilities for which they were hired and the boss is saying, no, 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 do it this way, do it this way. Can you offer sort of any advice as to how you can sort of stay on target without letting your emotions sort of run away? Well, I think, um, you know, asserting yourself and, and uh, you know, talking to your boss about kind of what the situation is and whether they have any concerns is definitely a good step. But if they truly are happy with your performance and they still have trouble kind of letting go of that control, I think, you know, some of the research here suggests that micromanagement isn't really about you as an employee. It's about, uh, you know, the employer's kind of feeling of insecurity or uh, it could actually be almost, some, some researchers have kind of almost called it an addiction. And so if, if that's actually the case with uh, your manager, uh, you know, you might, not need to realize, might need to realize that there's sometimes very little that you can do to actually change their behavior, and you might need to kind of uh, think of other options in some cases. You know, and another thing for bosses to keep in mind, so often we think that money is the prime motivator at work. Systems, culture, and how you're handled by your superiors are way up on the list in terms of mm -hmm. job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, just to say it's not always a, a personality issue with your boss. Sometimes when bosses, when people are, are promoted to a supervisory position, they feel this insecurity just because it's new and they want to feel connected so they actually think they're doing a good job by staying closely connected to the people underneath uh, them in the, in the organizational tree and but unfortunately this can actually create this feeling of being micromanaged and sometimes all it is is a conversation that needs to happen in order to help them realize you know I'm actually going to be okay if you don't talk to me every five minutes I'm not going to feel like you're distant from me or that you're no, like you don't care. And so sometimes it's just kind of a, a misunderstanding in a way. Well, Dr. Cyrus, unfortunately, we have to micromanage the clock, and that means we are out of time for our weekly visit. But thank you so much for joining us, for stepping in, even though you're not feeling all that well. Get well soon. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, he is a clinical psychologist. His website is drcyrus.com. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling live on 680 CJOB from the beautiful rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's at Marion. It is gorgeous. We have just finished. We have well, we haven't quite finished it. We have one piece left of the Santa Lucia special pizza. Get down here quick. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> turn up that Guns and Roses for Che. You can have our That's leftovers. like a turn down the windows, open up the sunroof. Let's let it rock. It's Friday afternoon. And this weekend, we have a great event happening in our community. If you're a golf fan, well, you don't have to be a golf fan to enjoy this event. It is the Players' Cup at Pine Ridge Golf Club. The Mackenzie Tour, PGA Tour Canada, has returned to Winnipeg. This event is on this weekend all through. The weekend started yesterday, the, the tournament proper, and goes through to Sunday. And we have on the line with us Ryan Hart, who is the event executive director. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. And Ryan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. The Players' Cup, 
This is uh, this really is one of the premier events, not just for golf in Southern Manitoba, but for the entire Mackenzie Tour. Is it not? Well, I think before I get to that, I got to tell you how jealous I am that you guys are sitting there on a rooftop patio having a Santa Lucia special. Yeah. I and mean, if that last piece is available, we could find a courier to get it up. To. <laughs> we could probably do that, Ryan, but we're not going to do that because you have one of the best jobs in the entire country. Uh, you've been the director of this event for so long and have done such an incredible job. Uh, we'll talk about the fact that this is your last uh, uh, last. Uh, Players' Cup this weekend. Uh, I'm already verklempt even thinking about it. But talk about how things have been going the last couple of days. And Brett alluded to the fact that this is not only one of the highlights of the calendar in general here in southern Manitoba, but on the Mackenzie Tour, it is one of the events that the players look most forward to playing in. Yeah, you know, we've been we've been really fortunate over the years. Uh, we've got such a great team and a great community that just jumps on board with this event. Um, you know, we've when the, when the event changed names years ago and we got involved shortly thereafter, and when you look at the, the title of it, the Players' Cup, um, our focus really became about the players, about their the amenities that they get, how they're treated, and really the experience around it. And obviously that trickles down if we build the experience for the players, you know, trying to create, a, you know, on a smaller scale, a, a miniature PGA Tour event here in Winnipeg. You know, the players appreciate it, but then that also helps with the fans, the excitement of the event, and really the feel and the vibe around here. You know, it's just built over the years, and I think a lot of that really has to do with, uh, you know, the amazing support we get from the community. I'm just looking at some of the information here. I did not realize, and I, I know that, like, Pine Ridge, as long as I've known about golf, uh, I've known that Pine Ridge is one of the premier, if not the premier golf course in our province, but it's 105 years old? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. We, uh, it's a Donald Ross design. Those in the golf world know that uh, one of the most iconic uh, golf course architects around. Uh, and, and actually, one of the things that probably not a lot of people realize is Pine Ridge and Elmhurst both designed by Donald Ross right across the street from right across the street from each other. I mean, there aren't many places in the world that have these two courses, there are these kind of courses right across the street from each other. So we're pretty fortunate in the province. But yeah, 105 years old. And, you know, we're creeping up here in uh, 2019 will be the 100th year anniversary of the start of the Players' Cup. Well, one of the conversations we were having the other day in the newsroom with Jeff Courier, uh, myself and Brett, what was this idea of how long golf courses have needed to get in order to accommodate these long hitters, uh, the new technology mm-hmm. on the golf course. Is is Pine Ridge able to, to serve up a, a big enough challenge for these golfers, uh, you know, with all due respect to the course? Well, you know what? I think the uh, you'll see the cut today will probably come in at plus two or plus three. Wow. Which will be the highest on, on tour this year. So I think that in itself says yes. Um, you know what's funny is a lot of these players, and talking to them over the last few days and obviously the last few years, you know, before they come up here, if they haven't played before, they look online and they go, oh, man, it's, it's under 7,000 yards and, you know, this should be fun, and whatever the case may be, they get up here, and then they play it, and they go, wow, these greens are unbelievable. I mean, they're fast, they've got runoffs, there's there's some slope to them that, that you know, you really, you've got to play the course to understand it. So I think tee to green, it's probably in some of the best condition that we have, runs quick, 
so the players get it out there a long ways. But you know, the key the key to golf at any length of golf course is from 100 yards in, and and this course defends itself well. And it probably doesn't hurt. The reverse side that uh, I think we measured the rough the other night on the, the side, the second green, and it's over four inches long. So you get it in there, and uh, you can get, you post a big number. Well, you mentioned Elmhurst is right next door. I have played Elmhurst before because I know some of the members there. Uh, me and my friends refer to them as the Elmhurst Fun Boys. I've never had the pleasure <laughs> of playing Pine Ridge, and one of the reasons why I want to play this club is because of there's there's a hole that I understand is one of the toughest challenges on the McKenzie Tour. It's your 232-yard par-3 ninth hole. Why? You'd think a par-3 would be one of the easier holes for the pros, but why? what makes this one so tough? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably fairly understated when you look at it on paper, but it is a diabolical hole. It's, it's 223 yards. If you take the slope into account because it's straight uphill, it's about 242 yards straight uphill to a turtle back green so there's really not a lot of places to land it and you know the first two days here uh it's been straight into the wind so you know you're looking with wind you've got a part three that's playing over 250 um and i think every guy that's played it you, you look at that if you get a par you consider that a birdie and you carry on i remember reading something years ago uh mo norman who won this event three times said it's the best par four in canada <laughs> oh, oh, Mo Norman. There's an entire half an half hour of conversation about the legendary Mo Norman. Oh, oh, yeah. At least, at least. Hey, Ryan, we don't want to uh, to get away from our conversation without having you the opportunity to extend invitation for everyone to come up to Pine Ridge. Can you stick around for a few minutes while we update our forecast and traffic? No problem at all. Happy to be here. Excellent. Ryan Hart is the event executive director of the PGA Canada McKenzie Tours Players Cup happening right now at Pine Ridge and we will continue our chat after we look at traffic and weather up next. We have a bird's eye view of the intersection of St. Mary's and Marion. Everything's hokey dokey over here. Greg and Brett we're on the rooftop Santa Lucia Pizza St. Mary's Road. Ryan Hart is joining us from Pine Ridge. He of course is at the uh, Players Cup up there part of the PGA Tour Canada, McKenzie's Tour, one of the premier spots. Uh, it's the premier spot on the tour, and uh, we will say that without apologies. Uh, Ryan, before we ask you about what's next for you, as this is your, your last year as executive director, you've got some exciting things going on in your life. Eric Howarchuk, the son of Winnipeg Jets legend Dale Howarchuk, is participating in this event. And Dale was a pretty good golfer once upon a time. How's Eric doing today? You know what? He's uh, he's gonna have to go out there and shoot a shoot a good round today. He uh, you know he got into a little bit of trouble yesterday, and um, you know the cut if the cut goes to three, and if if he uh, has a good round, and he can might be able to squeak in. He uh, you know golf is hard as they say, and uh, you know some days you have it, and some days you're fighting it. And he's grinded it out, and uh, and, and you know it'll, it'll be a tough afternoon, but hopefully he can get it. I, we saw Dale and and his family out there yesterday. Uh, Dale brought some of his celebrity uh, friends over. He had his charity event going across the road. So we had a few Hall of Famers standing around the first tee when he teed off. So anytime you have uh, someone with the name Howard Chuck uh, involved, I think Winnipeg gets a little excited, and, and we saw that around the first tee yesterday for sure. Ryan, you said that golf is hard. Brett is always marching around the newsroom saying how easy it is. 
Lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there might be a couple of people that might argue that. Maybe maybe you're playing, you know, Tiger Woods golf or something on, on, on your Nintendo, maybe, but I don't know. I have never said that. I typically I come in talking about why I should quit golf and take up cross stitching, or some other hobby uh, that I would be better at. But so Ryan, how long have you been executive director of this event? By the way, the Players Cup at Pine. Uh, we got involved in 2010 and uh, became the executive director in 2011 after uh, Robin Mill- Rob McMillan and his wife Nicole had a, a successful year before that. So you are leaving to take a job with the PGA Tour. So how about you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty humbling, actually. Um, you know, you, when I got into this a few years ago, we put the team together and we sat down, and um, I definitely didn't think at that time that, that that opportunity would be there. I mean, not sure what I thought at that point, other than we had a golf, golf tournament to put on. And you know what? We've learned so much over the years from, uh, from the folks here at Pine Ridge and, and obviously last year at Niaqua. And to be able to take that learning um, to the next level uh, is really something that I'm, I'm honored to do. Um, be heading, I've actually was down there from March 10th to uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, heading back down next Sunday. So uh, it's already in full motion. And, uh, yeah, for the next three months, we'll be down working on the Northern Trust uh, in New York and then the President's Cup in New York. So uh, two exciting events on the PGA Tour and look forward to getting involved with well, congratulations to you, Ryan. You've worked very hard for this, and like you say, maybe this wasn't the ultimate goal, but couldn't be happening to a better guy. Um, I'm proud to call you my friend, and I wish nothing but the best for you and your family as you move on. I know you won't forget about Winnipeg. you still got a couple days left here, so give us your best sales pitch as to why folks should come out to Pine Ridge for the next couple days. Well, I think you guys have done a great job with that the whole time. I mean, we, it is a great event. It's a community event. If you like golf, great. If you don't, we've got some great features around the course as well. Uh, we've got a new lounge exhibit uh, right behind nine, our I-Band Greenside Lounge, right behind that iconic ninth hole we were talking about. Uh, we've got Canadian Armed Forces having an interactive display out here. Uh, we've got food trucks. Our friends from Half Moon are out here. We've got mini donuts and fresh-squeezed lemonade. Lots of stuff to do, and uh, and really think it's going to shape it up to be a really great weekend. The weather's awesome. So if, even if you're heading out to the lake, you can make a pit stop uh, out at Pine Ridge on the way. But, uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be really good. And, and if I can, you guys have always been great supporters of this event, and we really couldn't do what we do uh, to get the word out without, uh, without that support. So thank you uh, from all of our team for that over the years. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. And, hey, if you want to talk about the PGA Tour over the next few years, you know my number. Well, we'll certainly be uh, happy to take you up on that offer, and we're more than happy to, to help out over the years as well. Uh, one final question for those listening and wondering, you know, man, I've always wanted to golf at Pine Ridge. How does uh, somebody go about uh, investigating a, a membership at the club? Because I know it's a private club. Yeah, you just, uh, you, I, I should probably know the phone number off the top of my head, <laughs> but I don't. But you go, on, you go online, and uh, on their website, they've got the membership information. Um, and I know their phone number is actually on there as well. And uh, you can give them a shout, and uh, I know they're always open to welcoming some new members. And, and i got to tell you, I've, I've been uh, had the pleasure of playing here for a number of years now, and uh, it's, a, it's a really great membership. Um, and, and, you know, if you, if you don't, whether you don't golf, if you're a junior, or you're you know, a competitive golfer, it's got a little bit for everybody. Thanks, Ryan. Going to miss you, man. Hey, we'll talk soon. Ryan Hart, Executive Director of the Players' Cup. The preeminent stop on the Mackenzie PGA Canada Tour. And we have a quick look at your forecast in sports up next.
Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. We are sitting on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road. It is the first edition of Mackling and McGarry Patio Palooza for the entire month of July. At least on Fridays, we are going to be up here. And you can go to cjob.com and enter to win a $100 gift certificate to come up here and enjoy the patio yourself. You can have your own tab. Hang out with Mackling and McGarry or you can just not come when we're here. There's lots of people up here right now, as a saying off the top, uh, people that are here in spite of us, not because of us. We'd like to flip that ratio down a little bit mm-hmm. and have you come down and hang out. Great excuse to skip out of work a little bit early on the Friday and an update on the traffic. Uh, Marion is getting a little bit backed up as you head eastbound out towards Lajamodier and Archibald. Uh, I've noticed a couple of times that uh, people are waiting a light cycle at those uh, lights as you're turning off of southbound St. Mary's on to Marion. So just be prepared for that. Earlier this afternoon, we spoke with an author. His name is Joe Ralco, and he has written a book which he entitles Creative Nonfiction. It's called The Devil's Gap, the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. This happened on May 10th, 1973 in Kenora, a community which you said is... 200 kilometers east of us? Almost exactly from where we're sitting, 200 kilometers. So this is something that happened not far from our community, and it's unbelievable, quite frankly. So we have a piece of audio here, which is from the radio station CJRL. Gentlemen, a continuing report on the attempted bank robbery at the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce on Main Street. Uh, We've spoken to a number of people on the street who allegedly saw this take place, and it... uh, was just one smooth operation, walking into the bank, ordering the tellers out, and from there, nobody seems to know what's going on because the man is holed up in the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. He's wanting safe passage out, and the police have been negotiating with the man. The area has been cordoned off. The passers-by again have been moved back further, and uh, they're just waiting now to see what happens. As I mentioned, the man is holding what is believed to be a device in his mouth and uh, from all reports it it would appear as though it's a bomb of some sort now the police are standing by the truck he has demanded is wedding out front of our station right now the man is coming out he's got a black stocking on his head the man is coming out he is carrying a clothes peg in his mouth he is moving back into the bank now He's got three duffel bags, three duffel bags, apparently full with money. Uh, he has moved back in with his, uh, with the man, and they're waiting now to see what happens. Now they're coming back out again. He is a colored man. It's the clothes peg in his mouth. He is carrying a flight bag. Uh, with the bomb has gone off. A bomb has gone off. He's been shot. It's gone in front of the... Everything is just rancid. Ladies and gentlemen. A bomb has gone off, ladies and gentlemen. Money all over the street. You wouldn't... A policeman has been shot. A man... Men are running. Two cars are completely heavily damaged. The entire front of the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce has just exploded. A helicopter is flying over top now. So once again, that is audio from a radio station, CJRL, covering this Kenora bank robbery. And what happened is a police officer shot this man who had a dead man switch in his mouth, which ignited a homemade bomb that he was carrying over his shoulder, and he essentially blew up. The reason why you're hearing two voices there is because CJR, CJRL 
had two reporters on scene. One of them was doing live reporting on CJRL, and the other one was reporting live on their Fort Francis sister stations. So that's why you heard two voices kind of going back to back. And I think one of them just was so shaken, he essentially just held his microphone up to the other reporter who was clearly running on adrenaline. That's one of the, that might be the most dramatic piece of radio other than perhaps the Hindenburg audio uh, that I think I've ever heard broadcast. Joe Ralco, the author of the book, The Devil's Gap, and the untold story of Canada's first suicide bomber. He's the author. He shared with us the link to that YouTube video that contains that audio. And Brett, I got to concur with you. When I heard it, I knew right away, my goodness, this is going to be uh, a little bit unusual for people to hear. But to imagine that that event, May 10th, 1973, took place in Kenora, a place so many people in Winnipeg spend a lot of time and as you mentioned most of us have been there at least once here in this part of the world uh you might want to check out this book joe says it reads like a movie script go online he self-published it the book is write it down the devil's gap it's the untold story of canada's first suicide bomber the author once again joe ralco r-a-l-k-o and Greg, you mentioned movie script here. Let's switch gears before we pause and have a look at traffic and weather and then find out what Richard Cloutier has coming up on the news. I uh, put a little feature together to tell you about the one movie, the one big movie that is out this weekend. Your favorite wall crawler has made his way back to the movies. Let's hear more about Spider-Man. What's up, guys? So, to become an Avenger, are there like trials or an interview? Do me a favor. Can't you just be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? The big one this weekend is Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the sixth Spider-Man film, but it is the first that is officially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not counting Captain America Civil War, which, yes, Spider-Man was in it, but it wasn't his movie. This one is his movie, and it's set in Peter Parker's high school years, like Spider-Man originally was, and it also features Michael Keaton playing a guy who is not a happy guy. He is the Vulture. The rich and the powerful, like Stark, they don't care about us. The world's changing, boys. Time we change, too. And with the Vulture doing bad guy stuff, Spider-Man wants to fight back, even if Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark tells him otherwise. These weapons are crazy dangerous. Listen, Peter, forget the flying monster guy. There are people who handle this sort of thing. And even though Spider-Man has superpowers, the Vulture is a formidable foe. I screwed up. You need to stop carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. I want you to understand. I'll do anything to protect my family. I know you know what I'm talking about. So don't mess with me. Because I will kill you and everybody you love. Spider-Man Homecoming is getting mostly great reviews. It's been hovering over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And by all accounts, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man yet. The guy is still out there. I've just got to do this on my own. Bold statement. Best Spider-Man yet? That's what they're saying. 
the best one yet, so I'll have to find out soon. We're going to have to look at traffic and weather coming up next. Boy, we are just moments away from our weekend. Brett, I know you're going to IGF <laughs> to watch the blue, but what are you laughing about, Kuche? Uh, what do you mean? You're moments away from your weekend? <laughs> yeah. You've already started your weekend almost three hours ago. All right. You see right through us every single time, don't you, Rich? Uh, a lot of fun. Sounding good from out there. Um, McGarry, how you feeling, buddy? Fine. Okay, just checking. Why? I don't know. I just thought that in addition to pizza, there might be some other beverages flowing. There might be, but I'm fine. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Brett is going to head to the football game to be a spectator, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit more work uh, with Mr. Irving and Mr. Brown. And, Rich, uh, you're heading out to uh, Folk Fest. Are we uh, sharing too much with the world right now? Uh, yeah, probably. Okay, well, yeah. I just did it. It's too probably. late now. There Got you to go. Got the genie back in the, <laughs> in the can. There you go. Uh, lots going on this afternoon, guys. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about the, the court case involving uh, Giesbrecht and uh, whether uh, the defense uh, is actually going to ask or concede some jail time. More coming up on the news at 4 o'clock. Uh, we'll get you set for the pregame show. Our uh, colleague Christian Amel has a very touching story about who's going to be singing the national anthem today to open the home opener against Calgary. And uh, Bob Irving, of course, and Doug Brown uh, co-hosting the pregame show beginning at 5.30 here on 680 CJOB. Lots of other stories, and one wonders if this was an inside job. It happened at a Winnipeg car dealership at 3.30 this morning. The doors were left unlocked, and three brand-new 2017 Honda models stolen. More on those and other stories coming up in just a few minutes. Richard Cloutier, thank you so much, buddy. Richard has the news from 4 until 5.30 when the Blue Bomber pregame show starts with Bob Irving and Doug Brown. And uh, once again, we have to tip our hat to our buddy Greg Mackling here, who uh, is no secret that he is uh, a huge fan of the sportings. Yes, indeed. The footballings. And you are going to be uh, a proud member of the 680 CJOB Blue Bomber broadcast team. What is your role going to be this evening? I'm going to try and bring a little bit more of a view from the fans' point of view, something that I've been since I was six years old. My dad took me to the very first Blue Bomber game I ever went to at the old Winnipeg Stadium back in 1976 against the Ottawa Rough Riders in the pouring rain, and it's been nonstop Blue Bomber fandom ever since. I think I have been very honest in my opinion on the Blue Bombers uh, since I've been on the air at 680 CJOB, I've been trying to mend my relationship with the football club after years of heartbreak. And it feels as though there's a little serendipity here because I believe the Blue Bombers are on the upswing. So I'm going to try and keep the, the fingers on, on the pulse of the fans as we make our way through this season 2017 for the Blue Bombers. And you're, on the, you're doing the halftime show tonight, right? Absolutely. Looking forward to uh, having our good friend Ed Tate from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We'll uh, take a look at what happens in the first half. The first half is going to be huge for the Blue Bombers. They need to get out to a good start, get the fans into the game keep those fans on their side and uh, if they do that they've got every opportunity to to defeat a team that they have not beaten in their home stadium since they moved there in fact brett they they have not beaten the calgary stampeders in winnipeg since 2009 <laughs> mike kelly was the coach and the quarterback stefan laforce wow july 10th 2009 so it's been a long time in coming 
Pre-game show 5.30, kickoff at 7.30. Once again, we need to thank our gracious hosts here at Santa Lucia Pizza at St. Mary's. We will be here every Friday through the month of July. We invite you to join us, and we invite you to go to cjob.com where you can enter to win yourself a $100 gift certificate to be a part of Mackling and McGarry's Patio Palooza here at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's. Also, we want to thank the manager, Daryl. We want to thank our server, Liz. And we want to thank Jess Kaminsky from the 680 CJOB Promotions and Street Team for helping us out today. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry. The news with Richard Cloutier is up next. <laughs>